Wouldn't it be neat to hear another law show from the same type of attorneys talking in the same monotone voice, saying the same old things over and over again? Uh, no. This is Legacy Lawyers. On Legacy Lawyers, you get two big things. Number one, we talk about the juicy details of cases that our law firm has dealt with. Of course, changing the names and details to protect client attorney privilege. And we dive into what options the clients had to choose from to fix their situation. Number two. Number two. You get educated about how the effects of not doing planning can be devastating. Let's get into it. This is Legacy Lawyers. And here are your hosts, Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. Hello, hello, everyone. Sorry, I got to... Stop playing guitar for us right there. You're jamming out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm super excited about our topic today, Nathan. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited too. Although I have to say that um, you're going to have to walk me through this a little bit. Yeah, happy to, happy to. So we're going to talk about title theft, which is kind of a unique way to reference um the topic but uh i think it's i think it's something that everyone's if not thought about at least had someone maybe mention so i think it should be thinking about it that's true that's true we should be thinking about it so we are going to share about a local a local news story that um really brings this to life and has some kind of kind of interesting twists and turns in the in the story so nathan you want me to jump in or you want to share it no that's what i'm saying is you got to walk me through the the facts of this thing okay so um all this is alleged and so obviously anything we talk about here is just hypothetical with this story and also before we jump into that i'm just going to remind our listeners that although nathan and i and i are attorneys we are not your attorney and our advice today is general and for educational purposes and does not substitute for getting legal advice for your specific situation and needs. So with that out of the way, let's learn a little bit about this story we have. So husband and wife, right? Um, the wife passes away and it's, it's a blended situation, a blended family situation. So when we say that, that means they were married before and they had kids before. And so it has a few more moving parts than you might see in the Brady bunch. A little bit like that. Exactly. So she passes away, right? Wife passes away and she's got, she's the, from, from what the story shows, she's kind of the breadwinner. She has most of the assets and um, had several pieces of real estate and a business and other other accounts and it was an unexpected death so no one expected it well there are competing wills here there's two wills in this story she has one will that lists her son as the executor 
And he, the husband, has another will less listing him as the executor and the sole beneficiary. Um, the story doesn't tell us, you know, what the other will that lists the son has as the beneficiaries, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming the children are, if not partial beneficiaries, a big part of being beneficiaries of the will. So, so the we, will the husband has, he's the only beneficiary. Yeah, he's the only beneficiary hmm. and, the, and the executor, or when we use that word, that means the person who's in charge of taking care of everything after someone passes away. So you got competing wills. Well, normally what we'd see in this case is both parties would present their information to the court and the court would decide which will is valid and decide who's really the executor. Um, obviously, when you have two competing wills, there's there's a question of is, is one of them val forged? If not, then the most recent will would usually prevail, right? But But we have more in this story, okay? So... The wife who passed away, she had a company, um, what we call a limited liability company. And this company mo mostly was designed to just hold real estate. So it, it owned several pieces of property. Well, lo and behold, the husband, after her death, goes on to the state's website and changes it so that he is listed as the um, principal owner of this business. And again, allegedly, Whoa. this is what he did. So he goes on and he changes it on the state website, listing him as the owner of this business. And then from there, he goes and he signs some deeds that transfers the ownership out of the business into his own personal name. And this, if you're trying to get control of the assets in a way is pretty clever. I mean, what do you think of that, Nathan? Well, so first of all, like it sounds, it sounds like, I mean, I'm trying to keep track of how many potentially forged documents we're talking about here. Um, it sounds like started out with a potentially forged will. Then he, um, I guess you wouldn't say forge, but I, in a way it goes on a website and changes who the owner of the business is. Well, it's different each, for each state, but this state required the person to sign a statement at the end of making the change, swearing that they're the person who is authorized to make this change and swearing oh, yeah. that they're the person who can move the asset. So he forged that. Mm -hmm. And then when you say he just drafted some deeds, well, he didn't just draft deeds, he forged deeds or forged signatures on deeds. And that, that part of the story is not super clear on if he signed the deeds using his name as the new owner of the business or if he signed the deeds using his deceased spouse's names. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um, but either way, when he executed those deeds, he, he wasn't the proper um, agent for the business. So he didn't have the right to sign whether he was signing his own name or he was signing the name of his deceased spouse. Because So it's, it's, a, it's an invalid forged Deed. document right mm -hmm. like yeah. any way you cut it it's not above board it's not legit so when the article goes on to explain that all these actions were alleged to have happened shortly after his wife passed away and um it took a while for all this to kind of get sorted out but um the local um 
police department and prosecutor brought charges against him. And I'll read, I'll read a few of the charges, but basically um, it looks like there is one count of committing a computer, computer crime, which is a second degree <laughs> felony, two counts of fraudulent handling of public documents, which is a third degree felony, and two counts of registering a false document, which is also a third degree felony. So all of those are tied back to these different actions that were that we were referencing in the story. Mm. So criminal charges pending. Yeah, and you know, you hear the story and maybe the thought is like, he, he was the husband, shouldn't he just have everything and be able to do all this anyways? Well, didn't she say it was a mixed marriage, blended family situation? Yeah, it was, it was a blended family situation. But I think this illustrates a good point, though. I mean, even if it wasn't a blended family situation, the law does not give the husband the right to just go and start signing things unless he's actually followed the proper rules of the, the proper local rules for ha needing and gaining authority to transfer assets. Yeah, and if, if a will is the way that they've gone about it, then that's going to involve probate in some form of court action. Yeah. These guys had, we're assuming there was no trust cause it's never mentioned in the article. So they, they were going to have to deal with probate even though they had the wills and in a later episode, we'll explain why that is. But um, before he did anything, before he put the business in his name, before he put deeds in his name, he needed the court to recognize him as the proper executor of his wife's estate even though they were married yeah so he doesn't just get to go and start um pulling things into his name and liquidating or otherwise getting his hand in the cookie jar until he follows legal process mm -hmm. and this one i think is interesting nathan because we've seen this before like this isn't like whoa i can't believe this happened like i've i've seen similar situations like this in my career but this is the first time I've ever seen criminal charges filed. I don't know that I've ever seen anything this egregious. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But like, at least not that I was aware of. Maybe this guy just isn't that good. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there. I guess here we have several, you know, alleged actions that kind of add up to being a pretty weighty argument that there's some fraud going on and. Um, the law enforcement felt like it was appropriate for them. But usually when my clients call the police and say, Hey, so-and-so stealing from the estate or so-and-so's signing, you know, fraudulent documents, the local law enforcement say, says, Hey, that's a civil matter. issue. We can't get involved in that. You need to, you need to get an attorney and go to civil court. So here, yeah. And then people are shocked when they're told that they're like, wait a minute, they're breaking the law. And you're not going to do anything about it? And the answer is, you're, that's exactly right. They're going to tell you, go hire your own, your own lawyer and pursue it. Mm -hmm. Which is too bad because it is, it, I mean, if, if any of the facts in this article is correct, I mean, those are, those are violations of our criminal code. Well, and in this case, charges were brought. And that's what I'm saying is the, the 
the actions were egregious to the point where they did get a prosecutor's attention. Yeah. So this article dovetails nicely into a question we get from um, families and clients fairly often. So if you've listened to the radio, depending on how much you watch TV, you've probably heard advertisements saying, Hey, um, someone could steal the title of your home. Um, they call it kind of title theft. Um, and basically the advertisements are this idea that, Hey, you pay us money and we'll monitor the title and deed for your house. And we'll let you know if anyone transfers the house into, out of your name and, and, Basically, the services like, you know, you don't want to find out that someone transferred the deed out of your name without you knowing. And so we'll help you keep an eye on it. And you can pay us so much money each month to do that. It's kind of like identity theft, but for the deed for your home or the title for your home. Yeah. And there's similar um, services offered. I mean, I think the state, the state in various jurisdictions will track ownership of a business and for a fee and notify whoever originally set it up or is the person in control of that business. If somebody's come in and done something like what happened in this case, um, changed ownership or changed manager or changed some other control position in the company. Yeah. And that's why I, that's why this article is really interesting because it, it brings out, two angles that come up when if someone's trying to mess with your ownership in your real estate if you if you have rental properties and it's owned by your business then the way someone can still i guess your real estate um would be by messing with the documents showing who actually has ownership of the business. If I can, if I can create a bunch of forged documents showing that I'm the owner of this business, and then I go to a title company or to a, a new buyer and say, Hey, you should buy this property from me. And I show them all these forged documents showing them I'm the actual owner of the business. Then they're, they're going to, they're going to potentially do the deal, right. And pay me the money. And depending on who the person is, who's trying to pull off this, this con, you know, by the time you catch them, do they got their money and they're gone and they disappeared? That's the fear. That's the, that's, that's what everyone's kind of, you know, saying, Hey, don't let that happen to you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sitting here looking at an article on smart business that was written um, July of 2019 by an attorney. And basically what he's saying is, can someone acquire title to, to real property simply by forging the owner's name on a deed? And his response, what do you think it is? No. Yeah, no. A forged deed con conveys nothing. And having acquired nothing, the forger has nothing to resell to a third party or to a mortgage or to mortgage to a lender. So then if it can't happen, then why is it a problem? Are you asking me? or are you Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You're sitting here telling, telling me that um, people should potentially use these, these notifications. Well, if it's not real and it doesn't, there's no actual conveyance of, of right of ownership, 
then why is it a problem? Well, first of all, Nathan, I, I don't think I was advocating for the, for the company, but <laughs> setting, setting that aside, I, I was just explaining the, uh, the uh, mindset behind why, why it's such a popular, um, adver- why it's advertised so much and, and kind of the, the well, and uh, I'm, sales pitch, but I get what you're saying. I'm also setting you up a little bit because I know the answer, and that is that even though there's no actual right of ownership acquired, um, a forged deed or a forged mortgage or other forged documents, whether they actually convey anything or not, they're going to be a, they're going to have devastating, as this author points out, devastating impacts on the owners and the parties involved. Because, I mean, we say this all the time in a variety of contexts that people say, well, hey, can I, can somebody sue me for this? Can somebody sue me for that? And what I always respond is, well, yeah, I mean, people can sue anytime they want for pretty much anything they want. That doesn't mean that the case has merit or that they're going to succeed, but you kind of lose the second that litigation is filed in the sense that then you have to deal with it. So I think the same is true here, even though ownership isn't conveyed legally because of the forgery and the um, fraud involved in this situation, it's still, I mean, I'm guessing you're going to tell me this had some impact on the, on these, on this family, on this um, estate, on these parties. Yeah. I, I, I like how you put that, Nathan, like, yeah, it's a forged deed. It's not, it's not valid that deed didn't transfer my ownership in real life. I still own it. But if, if the person who forged the deed, so let's say you forged the deed on my house. I know you, you would never, Nathan, but let's pretend you did. You, you forged the deed on my house into your name and I didn't know. Right. Um, And then you went and sold it to this nice family has two kids, two dogs and, (laughs) Um, you got them to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars for the deed to my house. And then they show up with the moving truck to move into my house. And I'm like, what? You can't move in. <laughs> and they, hold, they hand out, a, they hand you a deed. <laughs> and then that doesn't just go away. Like, I guess there's a, a there, there's, I guess there's a scenario where they say, Oh, my bad. I got, I got duped. I'm out. Or, or let's say it's the mortgage company, right? That's really the one, like the family borrowed all the money and the mortgage company's like, I think I, I thought I had a secure title against this property. And so um, that has to get sorted out. So even though they didn't really transfer my ownership properly to this person, it still has to get sorted out and it, and it ends up in court. And the, like you said, even if it's, they're not gonna prevail, it's still a headache. And so I think that's the justification for some of these services is, hey, like even if you, even though the, the title is still yours, you still don't want to have someone come and say, "Hey, they bought this house from some, some, from some fraudster, and um, we want to take title to the home." Yeah. So I think the and the point of the services is that, I mean, the longer it takes for you to find out that 
somebody has committed this kind of a, an act against your business or against your real estate, the more damage that they can do before you find out yeah. about it and can Keep move to stop it, right? So yeah. um, knowing sooner, you'd, you'd want to know a lot sooner than when the family's showing up at the moving truck and wondering why you haven't vacated the property. I think it's important to point out that our system has a lot of things to catch this before it sh- they show up with the moving truck, right? Like if there's any real, st- real estate agents <laughs> listening to that, they're like, well, we would have showed it to our client, right? We would have showed the house. We just... So maybe that's not the best example, but like um, there's, there's plenty of examples where, you know, they could have. Well, so let's say it's not a house. Let's say you own some raw land that's valuable, that has some development potential and is worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's easy to show, right? And well, like it's uh, your land. Absolutely. There's it's the it's a lot harder land. to, you know, catch that. Mm-hmm. I mean, but there's also title officers and title companies and and title people who are listening. They're going to know that anybody that's dealt with title that they're super careful. They run title reports. They do title research because ultimately transactions where there's a sale of real estate um, are, I think, almost invariably covered by title policies of insurance. So there's, you know, there's, there's definitely steps along the way that um, are designed to prevent this kind of thing from happening, but um, it happened here. It happened here. And that's the thing, like this article, you know, shows, you know, husband's claiming he has valid claim and title on the property and children are claiming they have valid title to the property. And one of only one of them really does. And if the facts in the article are correct, then, you know, the kids would prevail eventually, but they're going to spend plenty of time on court and in court and spend plenty of money getting this thing sorted out. And, I don't know what situation they are in financially, but if they were relying on that rental income for those properties, that might yeah, be, that would be a mess. That might be stuck for a little while until they get it sorted out. And the courts, the courts might be able to grant some temporary remedies and relief for some of those, but um, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. And that brings up a good point because I think that's the other thing that, um, we get a lot, at least I have, um, is when somebody calls and says, Hey, somebody's stealing from the estate or somebody's done this thing that was unlawful, or it was in violation of, um, documents that have been put in place. We we're going to call the police and the police say, no, get your own attorney. And then we get those phone calls mm-hmm. and we're telling people, yeah, so, um, to get started, we're going to need a retainer in this kind of a case, it would easily be a five-figure retainer to start working on it. And people are blown away. They're like, wait a minute. So I'm going to come out of my pocket to stop this person's bad stop actions? this person from doing these things that are, and they're, they're absolutely blown away a at, at what it costs to wage these kind of battles. Even when you're, standing in the position of you're the, you're on the right um, or you're in the right and you have clean hands. doesn't matter. Um, You're still going to be coming out of pocket. Somebody's coming out of pocket because I don't know about you, but my wife 
doesn't let me practice law for a hobby. That's weird. Yeah, she expects that, you know, if I spend eight, 10 hours here, that I'm going to have something to show for it at the end of it. So, yeah, no, you can't. Yeah, you I mean, you you can't take every case, you know, um, pro bono. That's not how the world works. Well, yeah. And I mean, I I will say this there. I've heard too many to count stories that are so sad um, where the people that are victimized are so vulnerable as in this case, there's probably minor kids. Um, there's guardians that are trying to take care of these minor kids are trying to do the right thing. And I mean, it just rips my heart out that I have to say, I'd love to help, but I have to be paid. And so I think an ideal law practice would be um, set up a non nonprofit and, and get a huge grant and then just go out and represent people pro bono just because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would but, be it. But that's not the really world. Rewarding. I mean, that's not really the world we live in, at least right now. Right. And in these cases, especially if you have the right position, right? Hey, I'm that asset needs to go to the kids, not to the, to the husband, the spouse, Uh, and there is money and assets in the estate, you know, eventually that those funds, you know, are used to correct the wrong, but the tragedy of it eventually, (laughs) eventually. And the tragedy of is, of it is the amount that would have went to the right person would have been much higher because you didn't have these legal expenses. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's fine that eventually, but I mean, in some cases, in a lot of cases, I think, it's cost prohibitive to even pursue it because unless you can get five family members to agree to all chip in and they're all going to feel confident that at the end of the day, they're going to get their money back, mm-hmm. then case moves forward. But how many times have you seen situations where family members walk away from this because they don't, they're not confident that it's going to come out the right way. And so they these walk, these yeah. bad guys get away with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You see, and that's the thing. There's cases that go every way, right? There's the one where the person walks away from an inheritance rather than dealing with the bad actor. There's this, there's this, uh, this example, this article where they're going to, where not only are they going to f- sort things out in civil court, but there's going to be criminal a- action to also make it even more difficult for the person to take advantage of the estate and, and so that's really, though, at the end of the day, Nathan, like, that's where I'm like, well, what could these, this family have done to not end up in this situation? And, and it's always easy to look at a, fa- a situation after it's happened and be like, well, you know, if you would have done this, but, but there are some obvious things here that could have been smart to prevent this. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't know that we can emphasize it strongly enough that just because we're talking about this, because the fact that we're talking about this case is because the level of egregiousness is so high that it rose to the point where criminal charges were filed. And that's how this thing makes the news, right? So if people think that, um, well, that's always going to happen. There's always going to be somebody that'll come in and swoop in and, and, take care of these wrongs i mean that is just not the case yeah i can't like i've had 
not this is the exception different. not have, the rule yeah i've had similar situations where it's no you need to get a civil attorney so let's start with the business okay like i don't you know when i when you tell someone hey they they just went onto the state website <laughs> filled out the form or filled out the electronic form and then they signed it and now it lists them as the new principal owner of ABC company. Like, shouldn't it be harder than that? Like what, what's going on? Why can someone just become the owner of a company by filling out one form and filing it with the state? Well, I think that goes back to how businesses get formed to begin with and the kinds of things that, that we see in terms of how businesses get set up. I mean, I'll ask, I'll meet with uh, clients that come in and they'll say, yeah, I own that um, rental property um, in an, my accountant told me I should own it in an LLC mm-hmm. and I have an LLC and I go, okay, great. Um, can I see the documents? And they're like, uh, well, I have this one page printout that, from the state that shows that I registered an LLC <laughs> and I go, okay, well, that's good. So you've got a, you've got a name. Um, you got like the very beginnings of an LLC, right? I mean, there's way more to owning an LLC and creating an LLC, a limited liability company than just registering a name with the state. Yeah, it comes back to the same issue we had with the deed, right? Just because I sign a forged deed transferring your house to me doesn't mean I actually own your house. And it's the same with the business. Just because someone files a document with the state saying I'm the owner of this business doesn't mean they're the owner of the business. It actually has to have a document transferring ownership to a new individual. Otherwise, it's, it's fraudulent. It's a forged document. It's not, it's not, it's not valid, but the problem is third parties rely on what the state registration shows. So when I opened my business account, um, some banking institutions don't ask for anything, but what's filed with the state. That's pretty, isn't that pretty rare though? I mean, most, times when I've gone in to open an account for a business, they've wanted at least a statement of authority or something with signature, I guess something that could also be forged. Yeah. But, statement of authority is just a, the second forged document, but not true, true proof that I own the business. All right. Well then what, what could have been done here? Well, and that's the, and that's the tricky thing. Like, I mean, this, this article, you know, he went ahead and forged some, allegedly forged some documents and eventually it came out to light and now he's facing criminal charges. And so the system, I think the reality is, is the system allows people to file documents that might be inaccurate, but ultimately at the end of the day, if push comes to shove, they're going to look at the underlying documents and the underlying facts, and that's going to really show who owns the business. Um, But what you can do to protect your own business. Um, there's a couple things. Um, and you alluded to one of them, like, so some States, so state of Utah, for example, when you register your business, you can pay, I believe it's an extra $3 and they will send you an email alert. If anyone changes anything on your registration and yeah, super and affordable. Yeah. For three bucks, you can find a out year, if anyone. three bucks a year. Yeah. 
So in this article, if it was in Utah and they had that, then, you know, someone would have got an email saying, Hey, so-and-so just change, you know, this just got changed on your business registration. And then, yeah. And I just heard people in California's minds blow when they just heard us say that it only costs two to three dollars to have the state monitor your uh, your every deed. State, every state has different pricing, so some states that offer it, it might be a little more expensive, and it might not be mm-hmm. worth it to some of our listeners. Um, but others, three bucks is probably worth it, especially if it don't, if your business owns a bunch of assets. It's probably worth it. Yeah, or if you've got any kind of concern about your family situation or i mean probably it wouldn't be bad advice anytime there's a a second marriage to say take additional precautions um and maybe that's me being jaded but i think that's just me being realistic yeah i mean and couldn't this have also been uh, not necessarily prevented but i guess and we don't know the details of how it unfolded in the court, but I mean, things like having a a complete set of underlying formation documents for the company, um, an actual purchase agreement, you know, if somebody is buying in or if somebody's becoming an owner, those types of things, anything that is prepared in advance of something like this happening is going to I mean, just be worth its weight in gold when the time comes for this kind of a situation to be dealt with. Yeah. When I set up an LLC for a couple, you know, they just own this LLC. Maybe the only job of the LLC is to own one of their rental properties and they see this operating agreement I give them and they're like, do we really need an operating agreement? You know, like (laughs) we're husband and wife, we're just going to make decisions and manage it however we want. And it's like, um, one, where do I begin? <laughs> one, yes, it's a good idea, but let's let's just pretend you both passed away. This operating agreement now controls the whole business for whoever is stepping in and taking over your assets. And so, even if even if you never refer to this operating agreement, the rest of your marriage, or the rest of the time you own the property, the rest uh, of your life, for that the rest matter, of your life, it it be. I mean, that instant alone makes it very important document. So, so I think in this situation, they might've had operating agreements for the businesses. I don't know. Maybe they had all the formality documents really well done. Maybe they had proof of transfer of ownership to the, to I the doubt wife it. and it's all buttoned up that it was solely owned by her and he had no legal rights at all to go and ch- ch- change the registration with the state. But that's a big maybe. Yeah, but still, even if they had that, he still fraudulently changed it. And the family didn't catch it until later. And by then, he had already transferred the assets out of the business. And so if you have any situation where you have a reasonable concern that someone might try to swoop in and move assets around if you passed away and it's not the person you want, then 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 you need to approach your plan differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, this article that I was looking at where he's saying it, it's not real, but it has an impact. I mean, one of the first things he does is complain about how advertisers are bombarding people daily with warnings about this and 
and so forth. So, I mean, obviously somebody's out there trying to make a buck um, selling these services, but you have to believe that there are probably some good companies out there that are doing this, that yeah. they're doing it for reasonable prices. And so if you do have any concerns, then this is something that, or if you're the type of person that, I mean, I have, I've got clients that if they know about um, a way to protect themselves, um, I mean, I can tell them, look, you guys have covered this seven different ways. <laughs> and they're just the kind of people that they don't care. If there's another layer of protection, they're going to put it in place. place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and then last note on the that article you're referencing, <clears throat> I was just skimming it. And at the end there, he says, you know, if you are going to sign up for a monitoring service, the real value is whether or not they will pay your attorney's fees if it does happen, because that's really what, what the problem is. If someone fraudulently signs their deed, your deed over to someone else, then getting it put back in place is going to require legal costs. So if the company you're paying to monitor your deed promises to pay those attorney's fees, then you have you have a good solution. Well, that's just not just a monitor. That's that's almost that's almost like an insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, and you see it with identity theft, right? Like, hey, we'll we'll watch your identity, and if something does happen, you know, we'll pay X amount to get it fixed, or we'll. There's different, you know, it's kind of that same concept. If they're not if they're not going to do anything to fix it, or they're not going to promise to fix it, then. Yeah, getting an early notice could help and make all the difference. But if the damage has already been done, then you're kind of stuck. And with a deed, the damage usually has already been done, right? So if if your deed, Nathan, was transferred into my name, um, you still have to get it back from me, whether or not I've signed it off to someone else or not. And so... Yeah, I mean, the damage in that case is not that... I lost ownership of the property, but it's that I have to go through the process and pay the fees and deal with the headaches of the remedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've had clients ask us, Hey, or is it a good idea to get those services or not? And I, I, I have no, I, I don't really fall on either side of this. I think it's, I mean, it, it, it's a tough call personally that's how I well i think like i said earlier if if you've got a reason to suspect that something might be going on then i would say you know or that you've got um somebody out there that you're concerned about i I almost feel like the monitoring of the business for a couple bucks a year is probably something that i would do um but and then i guess the thing I'd say with regard to these services that monitor title or, you know, notify if deeds are changed is just be careful when you're shopping, um, compare multiple services. Don't just go with the first one that pops up. Um, don't go with something that is somebody's trying to force sell you by the, over the phone or door to door, um, you know, do your due diligence and read the fine print and find out what you're actually getting before you pay money to have this type of protection in place. 
Yeah, I mean, in an estate planning setting, it's it's more likely for something like this to happen, right? The main person who would be protecting their own assets and taking action to protect themselves has passed away. And so if the plan isn't buttoned up, it makes it easy for someone to swoop in and try to take advantage of the situation. Um, but when you're going through your day-to-day life and you're, you're, you know, able to kind of keep an eye on your assets, your business, your prop, your property, I, I think it's, you know, way less likely scenario for something like that to happen. But again, I think, I think it's just everyone's risk tolerance is different. And so you got to pick what makes sense for you and what you feel comfortable with and then go with it. All right. Well, that is it for this episode. Thanks everyone so much for joining us. Um, We hope you found the topic fun and as me and Nathan did, and we will catch you next time. You've been listening to Legacy Lawyers with Michael Haslam and Nathan Croxford. We give you the juicy detail of cases that our law firm has dealt with. We take out the lawyer talk and legalese and show you what options some of our clients had to choose from to fix their situation. The effects of not doing planning can be devastating. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook and Instagram at Voyant Legal. Call us at 801-951-0500 or send us an email at team at voyantlegal.com. And for commonly asked questions, hit voyantlegal.com slash resources. We'll see you next time.